Welcome everybody to the Pat and Ollie Show. Thursday, November 19th, 2020. Ollie, how you doing? I'm doing good, you know. Virus is raging, but we're uh, we're doing all right so far, so let's do it. Are people still dancing in the streets of D.C.? No, it's pretty cold here. The temperature dropped significantly since uh, a week or two ago, so no, no more dancing in the street. If you count dancing as people walking around to stay warm, then yes, there is dancing in the street. Ollie, I'm telling you, I'm excited about today's show. Okay, we're talking about some good stuff. Uh, the yeah, Crown right. is back on Netflix. We're going to talk about The Crown. We're going to talk about the new Kevin Hart special, No Fucks Given, I believe it's called. And then we're going to bring in our friend Cody. Uh, we're going to talk some NBA offseason, the draft, some trades, and also some NFL I think we'll get to. But first... Ollie, I want to pose a question to you. Okay. If if they were if someone were to make a mini series about your fantasy football career, would I be the Borgov to your Beth Harmon? As in that final boss that you have to, you know, get over to really, you know, fulfill your potential because your boy came away with a huge win on Monday night. It was a 3-point win maybe. Yeah. You know, based on past results, I would have to say probably yes, because no matter what year it is, it seems like you always get my number somewhere along the line, no matter if my team's much better than yours or not, which it is this year. You know, you always seem to pull it out against me. I don't know what what, what good I can do about this, but I guess you would be my Borgov. Well, I just want to tell you, you've made a nice start picking up the Chicago D. They had a great game Monday night. Uh, I was I pulled ahead for like a couple minutes. I was very upset when Cordarrelle Patterson uh, got that kickoff return. I was upset. Uh, I watched the whole game on my phone actually, uh, in the Yahoo Fantasy app. I kept checking the score. You know, I I didn't watch the game until you know that I wasn't even paying attention because I was assuming that I would lose. And then when you when you texted me, I was like, oh, I guess I pulled ahead. So I checked and like I pulled ahead. So then I I was like. Maybe I should watch it. And then I thought to myself, no, it's going well. I shouldn't watch it. That'll just curse it. And then I turned it on, and of course, that's exactly what happened. Kirk Cousins threw a touchdown. The game was over. Yeah. And I lost in another league off of those last, like, the fourth quarter, too. I lost because of that. So I, I, I killed myself. You know, I only have myself to blame. Well, um, hopefully we meet again in the playoffs. I just want to make it. That's that's my goal. Uh, now, Ollie. Uh, you are the podcast video game expert. Uh, I want an update from you. Have you got a PS5 yet? <laughs> Funny you ask that because I've been trying to get one since they were available on pre-order. They only came out November 12th, so that was a week ago, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been trying since they were available on pre-order. I've been trying to get one. You can't find one anywhere. I saw that today... Walmart was going to have them available on their website at 3 p.m. So I was like waiting for that. I went to Walmart website at 3 p.m. on my phone. I got one in my cart. Oh, but the website kept crashing. And then by the time I actually like I kept trying to do it for about 15 minutes, I was trying to check out and it wouldn't let me. And then it just like said, this is no longer available. So Walmart website fucked me. 
and I lost it. I lost it. Okay. It was a it was a harrowing experience. I got beat out probably by a bunch of bots that are just like up buying up every PS5 so they can resell them on eBay for a thousand dollars. So. Yeah, probably that's that's what happens with the the sneaker game now, right? Yeah, that's that's basically like the these companies are trying to fight all these bots that people have designed to buy up PS5 so they can resell them for like double the price. Mm. Well, when you get one, keep the audience posted. We want to know how the I'm PS5 keep, is. I'm okay. Good. That's when we're gonna turn. We're gonna we're gonna pivot to our video game review podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'll be all you. It'll be all you. Now, Ollie, did you hear the news about Wonder Woman 1984? I did see this. Uh, coming straight to HBO Max and theaters on Christmas you know, Day. Did you read the whole article? Yes, I did. Yeah. So what was interesting is that it's only going to be on HBO Max for a month. Yeah. And then they're taking it off, which is strange. I feel, isn't that strange? It's, because it's not... It's also not a premium buy on HBO Max. You get it. Every it's not like they did it with Mulan, where you had to pay on top of your subscription. Like if you have HBO Max, you're going to see Wonder Woman without extra money. I find that kind of strange that they would basically give it to people for free and then take it away. It seems I, I don't know if the people at HBO Max know what the hell they're doing. I. They're gonna lo- obviously they're gonna lose money on Wonder Woman 1984, but I guess they just really want to grow the subscribers, right? Now, well, I... HBO's gonna lose money on it. What's that? HBO won't lose money on that. Well, Warner Media is one company; they own HBO. Oh, that's uh, true. I, I, you know, AT and T owns them all. Actually, I guess that's that's the parent yeah. company. Um, so well, it's they're all gonna lose money in the movie, regardless. It's gonna tank. Yeah, it's like. I mean, I guess they're hope HBO Max actually has more subscribers than I thought already. Like I saw it has about 35 million subscribers right now. Now, this, I personally do not have HBO Max, but I can confidently say that Wonder Woman 1984 is enough to get me to sign up for a free trial and then cancel immediately after I watch. So, and which is, well Which done. is another curious thing because that's what people are going to do, right? If people aren't on HBO, but they really want to see Wonder Woman, that's exactly what they're going to do is sign up for the free trial around Christmas and then cancel it. Yeah. It seems like a really, it's, it does seem like a really dumb strategy to me, this whole, and I, yeah. So after the first 30 days, then it's going to be exclusively in theaters for 30 days. Uh, and, you know, which is weird. Why? I don't understand why they wouldn't just release it on some premium, you know, make you pay 20 bucks to see it at home. Like they've done a lot of these movies over the pandemic. I, I right. think that's the, the right move to do, but I think they just really want to make a statement with HBO Max. And this is kind of like HBO Max is Hamilton, I feel like. Kind of a big blockbuster to get people in the door who aren't already there. Yeah. Now you, I mean, they're probably going to net gain subscribers out of this, but it's not gonna, they're still going to lose money. I guess they're just saying we're going to lose money no matter what, so we might as well just make the best of it. Oliver, scale of 1 to 10, give me your excitement level. For Wonder Woman 1984. I think you're probably way lower than me on this, but I enjoyed the first ones. Pretty, it was by far the best DC movie. We're pretty in agreement that those movies suck hard. Yeah. That was by far the best one. It was the most coherent one for sure. Um, but I enjoyed it. Um, I kind of looking forward to, I was kind of looking forward to this one. 
my boy Mando, Pedro Pascal, is going to be one of the bad guys. Oh, Kristen yeah. Wig. Oh, boy. Kristen Wiig is going to be a bad guy. You know, I think we both like her. So I, I think it'll be a good movie. I'm I'm kind of excited to see it. I do have an HBO Max, so I'll get to see it now, right around when right it releases. Now, will you commit with me right now to reviewing that movie on this podcast? Of course. Okay. Of course. Excellent. I'm excited. We are the premier pop culture podcast on the internet. We yeah. have to review. Now, I... Listen, I'm going to watch the movie, but I'm telling you, I could review Wonder Woman 1984 right now. Okay. Like, I know what my review is going to be already. I, I'm, I'm ready to get to go. Um, but probably going to be the same. Save these takes for. Yeah. I mean, I really, love- I enjoyed the first one too. Like, I really love Gal Gadot and Chris Pine together. I thought they Gal- were. Gal-, Gal Gadot. Gadot. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're Jewish princess. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. But uh, I really freaking, I hate, like, the climax of that movie, like all these damn DC movies, it's just like terrible lighting and way too much CGI. I was furious. No emotional stakes. You know, your boy was out. Uh, but I enjoyed the movie, you know, up to about the like before the last like 45 minutes or so. Uh, I, could, I could get on board with that. Yeah, the ending wasn't the best, but it's by far the best. I actually enjoyed uh, Aquaman. It was just kind of a silly, ridiculous movie. See, I have but, not seen Aquaman because I have self-respect. Uh, well... You should, because it's it's also it's the second best movie in there, and it's just kind of silly and ridiculous, and it's uh, easily consumable. Oh. Well, I'm not going to see it, but I, I I believe you. I do believe you. Now let's let's move on. So you do have HBO Max. Yes. Well, how do you? How, what do you think of it? What do you think of the interface? What do you think of the content? You, you digging it? You spending a lot of time on there? Not a lot of time. Um, the internet or the inter the interface is very similar. They don't have apps for uh, the T smart T well for Roku, which is the TV I have. Right, they don't have a Roku app, so it's only through I can only cast it on on Chromecast. The app is fairly similar to what they had before with what was it HBO Go. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there's a ton of stuff on there. You know. Uh, they got South Park on there. They got like everything. I think Chappelle. No, Chappelle show is on Netflix now, but they have a ton of stuff on there. I was going to ask you, I saw a news article this week that a new HBO Max show called The Flight Attendant with Kaylee Cuoco from The Big Bang Theory is yeah. coming out and they've made the first episode free. Do you want to review the first episode on this podcast with me? We can review the pilot. You know, you can make that call. I had, I didn't really want to see it, but, um, you know, I would try. Just I don't want to watch too much Netflix on this. I, I, only Netflix. You know what I mean. I want to try out the other services, and uh, um, it's supposed to be a dark comedic. Uh, I don't know. Whatever. Sorry. I heard dark comedy. All right, let's yeah. try it out. We'll try an episode out for this show in, in the next couple of weeks. In your, in your future. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, but let's move on to a Netflix show, uh, The Return of the Crown, season four. I was happy to have it back. Uh, before I sing its praises, I'm, you know, I, uh, Ollie, why don't you tell the people what you thought? Well, we're both big fans of The Crown. Really big fans. Uh, I like any sort of historical drama. And this one's up there with some of the best. I mean, it's just constantly cranking out really good stuff. Um, this season's focusing on mainly so far the i've only i'm only three episodes in you're a little further ahead than i am 
but there's mainly focusing on the relationship between Charles and Diana. You know, it's kind of crazy how this thing can crank out these sort of historical tidbits that you like would think that everybody knew about, but like, I just have no idea that these things were real. And, um, and I looked them up to make sure that they were, and sure enough, they do a pretty good job of representing like, uh, we're going to, I'm going to give a spoiler warning here because there's some, some spoilers coming. So, but, um, go ahead, spoil anything in the first few episodes, but like that princess Diana was bulimic. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either till this. Yeah, I like the uh, the second episode a lot. I thought that was one of the more unique episodes that they've done, which is the one where they are in Scotland at Balmoral Castle, and they're hunting the uh, the stag. No, I like that episode as well. Yeah, I thought it was like the most unique one because it it's a uh, kind of centered on the relationship between centered on a couple things, but one of those. Uh, the relationship between Margaret Thatcher and the the royal family. And they kind of flipped the narrative on their head a little bit in that one where the royal family, who often are portrayed in the show as sort of this very elite, out-of-touch group, you know, a lot through their wealth, but also through their sort of historical, um, all the kind of stuff that they had to adhere to as a, as a the histor- as the royal family. But they kind of flip it where they seem exceedingly normal in that episode. You know, they're having fun and they're just kind of like hanging out as a family. And Margaret Thatcher, who came from a very middle class background, can't relate to them in any way. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was a really unique kind of flipping of the uh, the script there, as it were. Uh, I really enjoyed that one. And then Diana kind of cements her place in the family in that episode. Well, so uh, I'm three episodes in and... Uh, I wouldn't expect it to have been bad because it's not. It's great. This is going to be one of the rare times in the history of the show where I actually get through something faster than you, I think. Uh, I am actually six episodes in now. Uh, I told myself I would stop after five. I couldn't. I had to keep going. Uh, yeah, I was, I've was. i been struggling to moderate myself here, but I'm, I'm trying to do it. I love this show. It hits all of my pleasure centers for me. One thing I love about this show is that it turns it does such a great job of turning history into fables i feel like uh you get these great sort of moral lessons from every episode um and i feel like this show as a series it tells a great story but i also feel like each episode is also very satisfying on its own yeah i agree i think they do a really good job of like cementing a narrative in in each episode that's really unique and like yeah i agree it does a really good job making each episode very consumable on its own i feel like you could sit down with somebody who's never seen the show and honestly just show them like start with any episode and they can sit down and enjoy it with you yeah you know, the, other, the other thing the music in this show is some of the best i've ever heard like they do such a great job with the music i mean uh i i always can't can't believe how great the music is sometimes and how perfectly it sets up like the the drama in the show. Now, you hit on something earlier that I want to get to. Uh, This show used to be about the Queen, especially the first two Claire Foy seasons. Um, Yeah. But now, and like it's, 
last season it moved away from the queen and more focused on the whole fa- the royal family in general. Uh, and this season, I feel like it's really moved away from the queen. Even though you've got Olivia Coleman there, Oscar Win- Oscar winner is a queen, but you're se- it's becoming very Diana centric, and I'm a little worried about that. Uh, I, I'm not. I think I think it's more Charles centric to be. She okay. is, but he was set up in the last season. They've set up this. You know, look, it's following the true history of the family, mm-hmm. and they got to. You can't ignore Princess Diana as like one of the most pivotal parts of this history of the royal family, like the eighties and nineties. And you just can't ignore it. Like there's no way that they weren't gonna have the show shift and focus on. I will disagree a little bit. I think the first two seasons with Claire Foy, there was a, a heavy focus on uh Princess Margaret too. I, a, I was gonna say she's been pushed to the side almost completely this season. Yeah. She she was a little bit as a little bit of a starring character in the last season. She's definitely been pushed at least the first series I've seen. So you're ahead. So I'm assuming it continues. Like she's been pushed aside. Also, Prince Philip, or um, he he was a very big fe- feature of the last season too, and he's kind of been pushed a little bit aside, at least so far. Yeah, um, I'd like to see more of I I in the first two seasons, I thought Claire Foy and Matt Smith had great chemistry. I always loved when they were on screen together. And yeah. I feel like Tobias Menzies and uh, Olivia Coleman have great chemistry as well. And I love the scenes that they've been together so far this season, but it has been often. Uh, but Ollie, I want to play a game with you. Uh, you are our resident Game of Thrones expert. And so anytime somebody from Thrones shows up, I'm just going to quiz you on who they were in Thrones. Okay, sure. so now... Uh, Prince Philip, Tobias Menzies, I believe his name is. Uh, tell us, who on Game of Thrones was he? See, he was Catelyn, Catelyn's brother, Edmure Tully. Edmure Tully. There you go. There you go. He can't be. He can't be fooled. He can't be fooled. We're if we're gonna we're gonna take this this take forever. The first up was it the first was the first episode. Um, Tywin Lannister, which is another like crazy yeah. part of history, plays a. Lord Mountbatten was the uh, Prince Philip's uncle, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, is, is assassinated by the IRA, mm-hmm. which is another true historical fact. Is like crazy that I had no idea that a member of the royal, a significant member of the royal family, was assassinated by the IRA. You know, it's um, it's just crazy. Like this, can they continually trot out these historical facts that you feel like should be well known, and you know, it's probably just because we're American, but. We don't know these things, you know. I think, you know, I, th- I thought you made a great point how the show is not shifting to Diana. It's shifting to Charles. How that, I think you are you hit it right on the head. Uh, and I have to say, I looked up this actor's name. I believe it's Jack O'Connor plays Prince Charles. I feel like he plays an excellent villain. Uh, he really... You know Go ahead. I, just, I was going to say, this was another thing I wrote down. He, to me, he comes more across... Charles is is more of the hero. You wow. Think he's the villain. Wow, you think he, wow, I feel like they make him like the punching bag of the of this family. Wow, uh, please elaborate I though. I like this take. He comes across more as the hero in that sense to me because he's being denied the ability to have the relationship with the woman he loves and he's he blames She's his family married. What? Isn't she married? Yeah, she is, but that was because in the last season they wouldn't let him they basically said you can't have a relationship with her, with Camilla. 
who, by the way, if you know, nobody's up on the current Royals, he is married to her currently, mm-hmm. but like, like they basically per, like didn't permit him to have a relationship with her the last season. And he sort of resented that. That's why I think he comes off as a hero. He's trying to be sort of, I, so my understanding of, of, of Charles. And again, this is, I know I was a very young kid when Diana was a princess and then died, but like, he was always kind of the villain because he pushed her aside for he had an you know an affair and pushed her aside. This guy I think paints him in a much gentler light than that, where he was kind of in a scenario where he was being forced to marry someone that he didn't really love. And he kind of tried to make the best of it. Wow. I gotta say, I love this take. I, I art is subjective. You know, I feel like this I feel like the entire time he's been a character on this show, ever since they start with him as a little boy at that school the show paints him as a coward. And I feel like it continues to paint him. I mean, like you're saying, oh, he's denied the woman he loves. Listen, this guy is a man with his own autonomy. Like, go after the woman if you love her. All right, tell your family to screw off. I mean, he's he's a coward, though. I I think he's a coward. And that's why you show... Uh, that that's why Prince Philip, you know, his own father hates him so much, and they show how like he act, like you know, they they even talk about who their favorite children are, and he says that Anne is his favorite. Uh, I want to circle back to a scene that I really loved. This was in the first episode when uh, to when Prince Philip is reading uh, Dickie's uh, will, and he wants Charles to give the reading at his funeral. He finds out, and he's so upset because that he had viewed Dickie as his father figure. Uh, and he realized that Dickie had switched his love to Prince Charles. But I just thought that was a fantastic scene. Like, just great yeah. acting on both sides. That's why I, 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 I disagree where they set Charles up is that, because they, they are locked. They, they, one of the things the show does really well is portray the family as that they're sort of prisoners of their own situation where they are super wealthy and they are, like, privileged in so many ways. But they're also beholden to these traditions of the of the royal family of England, where they have to do certain things, otherwise they lose all of this. Like they can't, they have to do it. And that Charles is sort of the perfect representation representation of a kid who's being forced to do a ton of things as he grows up. He comes off as a coward, yes, in a lot of ways, but it's also like he doesn't really. He wants to marry. He wants to be in love with the woman. He wants to be, but his family won't la- allow it, and it's like the traditions won't allow it. And I feel like that's why he kind of come, comes across as more of a, a hero than a villain. Wow. I see. I I, com- I completely disagree with you. Uh, I, I think he comes off horribly. He treats Diana like shit. Uh, even in that... He does treat her uh, like shit. Wait. I'm sorry. My mom has said she wants me to stop saying the S word on this podcast. I'm sorry, mom. But he treats Diana horribly. I mean, he's unfaithful to her, you know, r- right up until the wedding. And spoiler alert, it continues afterwards. Uh, he, I think he's a sniveling insecure uh dweeb i really do and it's interesting that you view him as the hero though uh, i just so i just finished the third episode today watched yeah. it um and another scene i really love is the very end of that when they basically princess margaret tells the queen and philip and the queen mother that they need to call off the wedding because he does. They don't love or he doesn't love her, mm-hmm. right? And she's like, "You need to to call this off because how many times can we make the same mistake?" That happened to her, right? It happened. Yeah. She was she was in love with this guy, and she was not allowed to marry him. Yeah. Um, so 
you know, you see that recognition in her. So the, they basically like have the scene where the queen goes to see him and kind of just basically says the speech where it's like, you got to suck it up and do this, right? Like, this is just, you'll, you'll learn to love her. You got to suck it up and do it. And then he turned and there's fireworks going off and he's looking into the darkness of with the fireworks going off. And he turns to her and he's like crying because he clearly doesn't want to do it. And she has this recognition that she's like, Oh, maybe I'm a bad mother, you know? And like, I thought it was a great scene. I don't, I don't know how you interpret that as like a guy who's, who's not kind of locked into a relationship. He doesn't want to be in out of his, he has no choice. You know, they've, they've taken away his choices there. It's a great scene. It's a great scene. It is a great scene. You know, I, I think in general, one of the, I, I love how like any, I think anybody can relate to this show, even though it's about a Royal family. I think it really can, anybody who's part of any family can relate to it. Uh, in that first, uh, that first episode when Philip and Charles are having that conversation, uh, Charles has some line, or Philip has some line about how like the architecture of this family is, you know, strange or weird or whatever. And I feel like every family is like that. Uh, and one scene I really liked was in that the third episode when Diana is coming to uh, some fancy dinner there, and she has to like she forgets to curtsy to the queen, and then she has you're, to you're in the right order. Yeah, to, like, yeah, yeah. But I thought they did like I loved how like the camera like circles around and like we see it from her perspective how she's just this outsider in the middle of all these people and she doesn't understand their world. Uh, I feel like anybody who's been trying to become a member of a new family can relate to that. Um, I think you're right. You know, it's the, one of the really successful things about the show is it, it paints a very complicated picture of the, the Royal family who, you know, for the general public looking at the real Royal family from the outside, it's easy to see them as really entitled, rich, privileged people, but it, it does do a really good job of painting them normal in so many ways and having, you know, these, really hard decisions and you know you know it does a good job at making them not just seem like the you know the elites that everyone pictures them to be you know yeah this was an interesting conversation though i'm i'm wow now now i want people to reach out we need to get an email address for the show but still i hope i hope just like friends will reach out people who watch the crown let us know do you find prince charles to be the hero or the villain of this story now one thing I looked up, I am, I see, I, I don't, I think the actress who plays Diana is fine, but I think she's carrying a little too much of the show right now. However, did you hear about the casting for who's playing her in future seasons? No, they already came out with casting on that. Yeah, there's going to be six seasons. So after this, it's going to be Elizabeth Debicki, actually. Uh, I'm very excited about like that. that. Yeah, I, I can see that. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, I don't know if you saw Widows. I thought she was excellent in that. I didn't see Widows, but I... She's in she Tenet. Was in, she was in Tenet, that's right. She was in that uh, Cloverfield Netflix movie that wasn't very good. No, I don't think I saw that. I forget what it was called. It was like a, the third Cloverfield movie. Um, she was in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I like her. She's she's good. I like she was her. Good and then uh, Prince Charles is going to be Dominic... West, I believe. Yeah, Dominic West, uh, who I thought was too masculine for Prince Charles. I find him a sort of effeminate character. Dominic West, he was the, 
Yes. Okay. I can see that now. I was thinking of a different guy. But yeah, I can see that. And I do got to say, I. I Who's, did they say who the queen's going to be? Uh, she, uh, Dolores Umbridge from Harry Potter. I forget her name. I apologize. She's been oh, in other yeah. stuff too. Um, yeah. But whether you think he's a hero or a villain, though, I do want, I do think the Prince Charles actor is excellent. I actually. He does a great job. He does great a great job. job. There's, they show, there's a scene where they, uh, after the engagement is announced, where uh, they're being interviewed by, like, where Charles and Diana are being interviewed by the press, and he, like they ask like, "Oh, so you're in love then?" And he's like, "Yeah, whatever that means." Uh, and I looked it up because I wanted to know if that had actually happened, and it did. And I, I, I watched the interview, and he he really nails his mannerisms very well. So I'm I'm really impressed by his acting. Yeah. Ollie, anything else you want to say about the Crown? No, I'm uh, excited to keep going. Excited to talk about it after I get through another few episodes. I'm excited to keep talking about it. I'm sure I'm going to finish it this weekend. Uh, but anyway, people, just start watching it. You don't need us to finish it and to tell you that. Start from the beginning. You won't regret it if you haven't watched it. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's four seasons of excellent television. But we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk about Kevin Hart's new Netflix special. Uh, stay tuned. Welcome back to the Pat and Ollie Show, everybody. We are now going to be talking about the new Kevin Hart Netflix special, Zero Fucks Given. Ollie, start us out on this one. What did you think? So I'm going to start out with a little story. So I, I had to get a COVID test so I can go home for Thanksgiving. And so I woke up early. I walk over to the place, get the free test. I'm there before it opens. The line is like two and a half blocks long. It was ridiculous. I wrapped around like an entire building. Like, so I get in the back of the line. I'm waiting in line for like two hours. It moves pretty quickly, but there were so many people. It was cold. I'm like bundled up. I'm waiting in line for two hours. I get back. I got myself something to eat because I was up there early. And I sit down. I'm eating my like brunch basically at that point while watching I turn on Kevin Hart, I get through my food and then I fall asleep. <laughs> so this is a long way of saying that I fell asleep for about half of it, but I'll say is I didn't love it even before I fell asleep. And after I didn't love it, I, I thought it was just okay. I liked uh, He did a, the bit about Seinfeld's house and eating the pizza. I thought that was pretty funny. Otherwise I couldn't say I found anything really hilarious. See, I watched 35 minutes of this special, maybe, and then I turned it off because I just wasn't feeling it. Uh, I want to say that, you know, Kevin Hart's success speaks for itself, okay? Uh, you know, but I, in my, his, he's a, I think Kevin Hart is hilarious, okay? But his stand-up has just never personally done it for me. Um, I would almost argue that if you want to rank Kevin Hart's skills, I think you'd almost say like one business. He's a phenomenal businessman. He's a true. He's a true mogul. Uh, two acting. I think he's a great actor. So funny. Uh, the captures the camera is so great at capturing his facial expressions. Uh, I would almost say three stand up for me, Tim. But obviously, you know that's how he made his name. Uh, a lot of people love his stand up. He's the most successful stand up comic of all time. Uh, for me. Like the reason I'm not like when I watch stand up, I prefer more social commentary and then like cleverly written jokes. That's what I like. 
And Kevin Hart is more about being silly and act outs, which he's great at, you know, and if that's what you want, I think it's here. Uh, uh, one joke at the start of this uh, perfectly summed up the special for me. Uh, he had a bit where he was saying, like, you know, like the worst thing uh, that, you know, that used to be that could ever happen to you would be somebody like would be the Fed saying, oh, we got you on tape. We got you on tape. And he re- repeats this premise a couple times. And I thought I saw where I, I, I'd been bored up to that point, but I thought he was about to make it interesting. I thought I saw the punchline coming. I thought he was going to be but like, now the worst thing is if you say to the cops, we got you on tape, we got you on tape. But that's not where he took it. He just took it somewhere else. Uh, and it didn't work for me. Uh, now, the special conceit of this special is the, the thing that's supposed to make it unique is that he filmed it in his home. Uh, so he has a small crowd in the like living room or the basement of his home or whatever, and it's, and it's really nice. Um, but at least in what I saw, it never capitalized on this. Now, like in most of the Kevin Hart specials that we've seen lately have been in arenas or even Lincoln Financial Field, yeah, right? Stadium. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's a hard place to do intimate comedy, obviously. So even though everyone's wearing masks, I still would have liked to see some crowd work. You know, like like hey, like what's it like being in Kevin Hart's house? You know, I thought that would be interesting. I would, I would love to see Kevin Hart get to do some crowd work for a change. I agree with almost everything you said. I actually wrote down someone almost verbatim some of the exact notes. Like, I think he's a much better actor than he is a comedian. I, I was trying to think to myself when I was watching it, like, I can't remember a single joke from any of his other specials. I can't yeah. remember if I've watched his other specials. Like, that's how unmemorable they are. And I know I've watched at least a couple of them. It's like, I don't remember a single joke. And I was thinking like, I could tell you like a bunch of jokes from Chappelle's standups mm-hmm. or from like Bill Burr who are like amazing standup com- comedians. And I love Kevin Hart. I think we both love Kevin Hart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a much better actor. He's like, when he gets into the physical comedy and that kind of stuff, he's unbelievable. He's hilarious. Mm-hmm. And I think like, capitalizing on his, his being short, like a lot of jokes are the expense of his height and movies and stuff. But like, yeah, his stand-up, it just doesn't do it for me the same way some of these other great stand-ups do. Like, you know, I, I was just thinking, you know, I was trying to think of like other comedians who weren't as like massive as uh, uh, Dave Chappelle or Bill Burr. I was like, who's the uh, Canadian and Indian guy? Um, Russell Peters. Yes, I think he's great. He does great stand He does a lot of crowd work, mm-hmm. to your point. Like, and he does massive arena or not arenas but like he does giant crowds mm-hmm. and he'll still do crowd work like he's great like uh there's yeah i don't i agree almost a, everything he said like he's hilarious but his stand-ups aren't great I, he didn't say anything interesting to your point there where he had no social commentary in this there was nothing like really you know insightful or interesting in the comedy he was he was just they were just sort of jokes that led into other jokes that didn't really, you know, say anything that, you know, Chappelle is the best at that. Like Chappelle is the best at that, but uh, I don't know. I can't, I agree with everything he said. Like I'd rather see him in a movie than I would in a stand up special. Yeah. And I, I think it's very hard to come up with an hour of excellent stand up comedy. And I mean, listen, the guy like doesn't have like he he is not a full time stand up comedian by any means. I mean, he's literally trying to take over the world. You know what I mean? He has so many business interests that take up his time. Uh, you know, so it's understandable that he's you know n- maybe not as sharp as some other comics. I feel like. 
You know, and the other thing is um, he does this, like a lot of comedians do this. So another thing I'm going to bring up Bill Byrne, Dave Chappelle again, but when he's telling a story where there's different characters involved, Dave Chappelle and like Bill Burr are so great at like representing other characters in the story, either by changing their voice or, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. making it seem like there's another character there and they're great at that. He is not like, he doesn't try to change his voice at all. He tries to like do some physical humor. Like Dave Chappelle is really great at that. Using the microphone as like a, as a physical prop in his comedy mm-hmm. when he's trying to represent something or whatever, you know, like he's, he's just trying to do that. And it's really unsuccessful in my opinion. Like it, it doesn't work on the same level that, because they're so great at it by comparison. Like, one thing that makes this unique is that this is only the second stand-up like, comedy special to come out uh, since COVID that was filmed after COVID hit. The other being the Dave Chappelle half-hour thing that hit YouTube, which was not which was more, you know, just completely social commentary and very few jokes. But I thought that was a lot more compelling. But this was, only, this was filmed, you know, obviously during COVID. Uh, and he's actually the first comedian to really do a long bit about COVID. Uh, it's like the first five minutes of this special where he basically just, like, jokes about having COVID, and he just calls it the vid for, like, five minutes. That's basically the whole thing. He's like, I had the vid. I had the vid. I call it the vid because that makes it, like, AIDS or whatever. Uh, And I didn't think it was a great bit, you know? like uh, That's the first, really, COVID bit we've had. What did you think of that part? I I didn't either, really. I don't think I laughed out. And, again, I fell asleep for at least 20 to 30 minutes of it. Uh. I don't think I laughed out loud until the the pizza party joke about Seinfeld. I did not like, make it that far. I don't think. Okay, the, he does this joke where he went to this uh, pizza party at Seinfeld's house, and it was all these white people, and they were eating um, brick oven pizza, which people referred to as "bop," and like were cheering for "bop, bop, bop." <laughs> I, I thought it was it was a really good bit he did about that, and then he tried to he tried to have this like same. He wanted that kind of experience. So he had uh, a brick oven pizza built in his house and had all these people over, but they're all black people and they just weren't into the same idea. I thought that was really funny. And that was the only time I really laughed out loud during the whole thing, honestly. Like, I didn't, I agree with you. There was, um, I would just recommend watching that bit because I thought it was good. Um, Other than that, yeah, nothing was really great. You know, nothing, yeah, the, the, the vid thing was kind of silly. Um, yeah. Now, I, I was, to be honest with you, like, I was actually kind of excited. Like, I, I said before that it was about what I expected, but I kind of, that's not really true. Because I, 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 had, I had heard this interview with Kevin Hart. I forget where it was a couple years ago. And he was talking about how he, like, plans everything out, like, years in advance. Like, he knows what he's going to do for, like, the next five years in his career. And he had said that he was going to do a stand-up comedy special that was more serious. Like more along the lines of like George Carlin or Gerard Carmichael or something. And that was going to be dark. And he was going to like, you know, just like give his like real like unfiltered take on things. And I thought that would be like really interesting. Because like, you know, like to achieve the kind of success this guy's had, it can't all be happy-go-lucky. I'm sure there must be a dark side motivating this guy. And I would, I would kind of love to know what's really like simmering beneath the surface like that. So like, I, I so I do feel like if you were to ever like really get raw and kind of like show us that dark side, it could be a very interesting special. I, I'd love to see that. I I don't... I, if you said something like that, I mean, I, I'm not doubting that you saw this interview, so I'm gonna... I didn't see it, right? Yeah. 
I think it's kind of bullshit. Uh, that just like comes off to me as like, well, I think he, as part of his like brand, which he's really good at. We, I agree yeah. with you on that. I think he bullshits a lot. I think yeah. he says a lot of things that aren't true just to be part of his, his image and his brand. And look, you know, whatever, whatever works, he's got to sell himself. That's his whole career is himself. Um, but I think he bullshits a lot. Uh, I don't know. And he can't go I, too can't dark because he's doing like chase commercials for Christ's sake. He's on half the commer- He's on more commercials than Baker Mayfield. You know, his whole brand is is never been edgy humor in that way, um, other than telling jokes that get him in trouble, which I don't think he realizes were edgy when he told them. Right, mm-hmm. like the uh, jokes about whatever uh, gay, the one that got him in trouble, kicked off the Oscars, which wasn't even really that bad to be honest. But it was also like ten years old or something. But. Uh, Anyway, like he, he's never been edgy in that way. He he's like built a brand on appealing to a broad, broad section of America, like pretty much everybody, right? Like that's his brand is he's appealing to white people, Midwestern white people, like Southern white. He's appealing to everybody, right? Like yeah. he doesn't Chappelle by comparison, again, maybe not the best comparison to make, but is not like he's always been very edgy. He always is like using really, you know, divisive language in certain ways, you know, like that will turn people off. Uh, you know, that's never been Kevin Hart. I don't see him ever like doing that. He, he's too careful about how his image comes across. I feel like, you know, yeah, he's too conscious of like wanting to be so, something for everybody. Yes. So, I mean, I really don't have much else to say. I would say people no need to watch this special though. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I don't necessarily think you need to watch it. Um, but we are still Kevin Hart if, fans, obviously. If you're a bit, yeah, I, I'm going to go see his next movie. If theaters ever open again, I'll be, I'll be in line to see his next movie. But uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't say, see it, you know, if you've liked his last standups, I can't remember a single one of them. But if you liked them, then you might like this. I don't I feel like it's probably in line with those. But, you know, I, I think we both – then his last stand-ups really didn't do anything for us and neither this one. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with our friend Cody, and we're going to talk a little bit about the NBA, the draft, some trades, uh, and also some NFL action coming up this weekend. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is the Pat and Ollie Show. We are now joined by our good friend, Cody. Uh, we're happy to have him here. Uh, you know, we should just say, Cody, what, three or four-time champion of our Navy four, Fantasy League? Four Four-time. Four time. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Excellent fantasy player. Uh, can, we kick him out? can we kick him out of the Zoom chat now? Yeah, let's kick him out. We're done. <laughs> Uh, Cody, this is the first time we've talked. We just found out uh, this past week that you're getting married in New Orleans the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. So congratulations. That's right. That's right. Thank you. Uh, all uh, of our listeners are invited to join Cody's wedding if you're in New Orleans. <laughs> Go. He wants you there. Yeah. Uh, so, Cody, you know, first off the bat, why don't you just tell what's your least favorite thing about your fiance? You know, just just tell us. <laughs> no. no, I'm kidding. I'm uh, yeah. kidding. <laughs> So guys, let's start. Let's start off talking with uh, about the NBA, huh? Why don't? Uh, how about both you guys? What? What's? You, what do you think was the biggest story in the NBA 
uh, in the past 72 hours? Go ahead, Cody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the biggest story I think is Charlotte. They got their guy Interesting. and, uh, we all finally got the matchup we deserve. Uh, they took uh, LaMelo ball. So, uh, we're finally going to get to see LeVar versus MJ. <laughs> oh, I didn't think about that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Said he could beat him one-on-one. So, oh, yeah, he did say he could beat MJ. This needs to be a pay-per-view. I will pay for that <laughs> to watch MJ just, just slaughter him. <laughs> Even fat day, which he is now, you know. Um, I think the biggest story is the Clay Thompson Achilles injury. I'm with you. Like, that bum. I'm, that's what I was yeah. gonna say. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So you know, he went from like the Warriors going back the you know to being a really legit contender to almost not in like an instant. It's hard to imagine them, you know, being able to compete with the Lakers. Or the Clippers without Clay Thompson. You know, it's just sad. It's very sad. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, that's two years. He'll he two years. He won't be playing. He's that's been have not played basketball for like almost yeah. a full two years. By the time he comes back, yeah. if he can, you know. I was bummed to hear it. I think the NBA is better when the Warriors are in the mix. So, do you guys think they make the playoffs this season? Hmm. I think if, uh, Wiseman, if Wiseman turns out to be good, yes. If not, I think it'd be struggle. I think it'll be the West is so loaded. I think they might have a tr- have trouble making it. Yeah, the West is pretty loaded, so it could be tough. But I mean, they they had a terrible record last season, and that was mostly in part to you know Steph Curry being out. So if he if he plays the full season, it could they could barely make it. I think as an AC, but we'll see. So it's gonna be Curry Wiggins. Wiseman and Draymond. That'll be their best four players, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Other than inspire confidence. So, I mean, other draft takeaways. Cody here is Cody's the biggest Cleveland sports fan in the world. <laughs> uh, it's official. Uh, Cody, what did you think of the Cavs draft? They got some foreign guy, right? Yeah, they only had uh, like one pick, so they got a. Uh... Isaac, Isaac Okoro. Um, to be honest, I wasn't I wasn't really that excited with this draft. I, I mean, Anthony Edwards went o- number one overall, and I don't think he's going to be amazing. So I guess at number five, they took him. He's supposed to be a defensive specialist, so that's needed, I guess. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the Cavs are already so stacked on offense. They need to get some help on defense. You know, that's <laughs> no, no. Sam, what would you think of the Sixers draft? Well, they had a great night. Not necessarily they the did draft. have a night. Yeah, they had an amazing night. Daryl Morey came in and just made all the moves he had to make. He he dumped Al Horford's contract with without having to give up a lot, really. And he got he got something useful. I'm not a big Danny Green fan. I've never been a big Danny Green fan, but to give up Al Horford and at least get somebody who can be somewhat useful on the team. That's that's you know dump that contract. I think dumping the Josh Richardson contract was another great move. I agree. Uh, and they got Seth Curry, who's a great shooter as well. Like I think their draft picks were from what I I don't know I didn't know anything about anyone in this draft. I didn't either. I'm told I, that's how guy, I was too. <laughs> they, they drafted the guy out of Kentucky, uh, and I'm told that that might be a steal. He's supposed to be a pretty good player. We'll see. I feel like this year, to kind of what Cody said, this draft sucked. <laughs> I think it was like 
no no big name players whatsoever. The guy was four number four. The Bulls took number four. He didn't even start in college. He wasn't even a start. <laughs> yeah, and they took him uh, the fourth pick. Like, how crazy is that? How this is ridiculous. So like, people should get fired if that if that doesn't pan out. Like, oh, or I was. Did you you watch PTI today? Right? You watch? I've not seen it yet. Wilbon was basically said on PTI, or no, not Wilbon. I'm sorry. Tony said on PTI that two things are going to happen. Either he's going to be a bum and the, the Bulls brass are going to get fired, or he's going to be good and all the Florida State coaches are going to get fired because he didn't start. <laughs> I think you can never go wrong taking the guy from Kentucky. I feel like that is always a smart draft strategy. He took uh, Maryland well years ago, and that didn't really pan out. It doesn't well. matter. The percentage of grid pros that they turn out is still super high. Uh, you know, fuck taking guys like the Spurs got somebody from Florida State too. I would have rather they took a Michelle or something, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some three. I'll tell you another exciting the uh, the Wizards <laughs> took the Israeli guy. So you know, I'm that's kind of who I wanted the cast to take, and he was on the board. But he's the most intriguing prospect, and maybe that's just because. Luca has like made European prospects much more intriguing now, but yeah, it seemed like the most intriguing one out of everybody. Yeah, I definitely wanted I wanted the Cavs to take him, Denny, but yeah, I think it was just recency bias with Luca. I mean, <laughs> I, who knows if uh, the Israeli guy will pan out the same? But I, I agree with Sam. I wasn't that stoked on on this draft. Uh, I mean, I saw that article where like Anthony Edwards said that. Uh, he wanted to play football, and then he wants. He still wants to be a rapper. He thinks he's like a, an elite rapper. Well, Dame can do it. Dame can do both. So why not? Why not? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Well, he said like he said uh, the reason the first time he dunked it was like enlightening, and and then he just decided to to stick with basketball. And it's like, wow, okay. <laughs> My first dunk was the same way. You know, I just yeah, I need to stick with this. Yeah. No, yeah, I don't start watching college basketball until March Madness, and there was no March Madness this year, so I saw exactly zero exactly. minutes of college basketball this past season. I didn't see any of those dudes play. Uh, Wiseman didn't play at all. You know, he was the number. He played three games. Yeah, he, three games. Mm-hmm. He he would quit before the pandemic. <laughs> I still I kind of like him though. I don't I, I like the idea of having a big center there with Steph. You know, somebody they can throw it inside to. I think it'll be interesting. He's looking pretty good. I guess we'll we'll find out. I want to say, like, on a technical note, I didn't like the presentation of the whole thing. Like, I didn't actually watch it. Out of tears. Oh, of tears. I did. Wa- I did watch it. I watched most of it. Uh, I thought the NFL did a great job with theirs being all online. I didn't feel the same here. Like, there was a lot of bad audio with the player interviews in their homes, which maybe you can expect that. But I feel like the NFL didn't have those problems doing the same sort of thing. And also, like, uh, Malika Andrews, who was doing the interviews with all the, the draftees, like, she was just trying to get them all to cry. Like, she wasn't asking <laughs> insightful basketball questions or anything. Or, like, James Wiseman gets drafted, and it's like, are you excited to go play with Steph Curry? It was, like, trying to, like, ask them questions where they would just, like, get all emotional and start crying. And I was like, ask a basketball question. I was probably, like, the 18th pick before she asked, like, a, a real basketball question to anybody. It was a uh, – you know, I just didn't like the whole presentation of the whole thing. That's kind of been the rising trend, I feel like, with, with drafts, both in the NFL and the NBA. It's it's let's show all these heartfelt stories, exploit their pain and, you know, boost ratings. And, yeah, it's it's a lot. 
I used to like it when the draft was just about Laramie Tunzel taking, you know, bong hits out of his gas <laughs> mask. You know, that was that's, that's when it was great. YouTube documentary about that whole thing and like how he was sabotaged. Oh, really? I yeah, I, I gotta, uh, I have to get you back to you on the name of it. it can you imagine like, if it was interesting? Can you imagine if that happened today? He could just be like, oh no, COVID. I'm just wearing a gas mask. There's, you know, yeah. that's it. <laughs> and hey, now he's like the highest paid offensive lineman in the league, right? Because Bill O'Brien's an idiot. Yeah, so it worked <laughs> out perfectly for him. Now, okay, what did you guys think of the trades that happened this week? What was the most impactful, do you think? Chris Paul going to Phoenix or, I guess, Drew Holiday going to the Bucks? What do you think? I wasn't a fan of the Drew Holiday trade. Uh, I mean, I, I thought they gave up a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot for, like, a subpar all-star. But uh, I, I, I like what New Orleans is doing, though, like, to exploit, like, these big, these small markets, like, fears of losing an all-star, because they, they did that with AD trade, too, and it's working for them. So I think they got something building, but I didn't like it for Milwaukee. I, I agree with Cody. I think that was the most impactful trade. Like, I hated the trade in terms of they gave up way too much. I like Drew Holiday. I think he's really good. But they gave up way too much for him. And But I think it was the most impactful because New Orleans, not only they got two good players in return and a, a ton of draft picks. Like, they could be a powerhouse in three years. They would probably make the playoffs next year, this coming season, and, like, they're going to be a powerhouse with all these draft picks, like. Yeah, but you can only you know play five guys at a time. They they have that. I feel like they have like thirty first round draft picks in the next like five years now. Yeah, with them in OKC, but you know they're gonna flip. They're gonna flip a bunch of them, you know. But you got Zion as like the cornerstone, and then you got some really good young players that they got from the Lakers. Yeah, they got Ingram Ball. Yeah, Zo Ball, and you got uh, what's his name? Just came George Hill, and uh, who was the other one from the Bucks? Bledsoe? They're no scrub. What? Bledsoe, I think. Yeah. But they're not scrubs. They're like good players, you know. Like they're gonna have a solid team this year. You know, I don't think they're gonna win anything, but they can. Make, they definitely make noise. I'll admit, Drew Holiday is one of those players where, like, I he's just under the radar for me. I, I haven't watched him play a lot. I don't know a ton about him, and so like I looked up their stats, right? So I'm just so he's 31. Um, he's 31 years old. Yeah, 31. Mm-hmm. Okay. Bledsoe is 30, but uh, so I'm going to read the stats, and I mean, I guess you can guess which one's which, but uh, 16.9 points per game, 6.4 assists, 3.9 rebounds, and 14.2 points per game, 4.8 assists, and 4 rebounds. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's I don't see the, the difference in uh, in play to, to, you know, to throw in those three first-round picks, you know. But Drew, Drew, Drew Holiday has been on – a bad team. He was on the Sixers for a while, so that's why I kind of I know him a little bit. Yeah, he was before he went to the Pelicans, but he, you know, he's been on a bad, essentially not a great team for a while. But he he's good. I mean, he's capable of doing every. I, I think he's a good addition for Giannis, but like just giving up all they gave up is it's just not good. It's terrible. They gave up way too much. If I'm Giannis, I, I look at the trade as like okay, you like this this front office is inept. You know, like. You gave up this much. Like, what are like? If I sign, resign, what are we gonna do in three years? You know, we have no picks. Like, I, I, I don't know. But hopefully, was- the team is good every year, and none of those picks are before like pick twenty-two, <laughs> right? Now, I think the move for the Bucks here. My take on the Bucks is before they go 
shuffling up the roster and just like trading everybody. I think they need to try out a new coach. I think Budenholzer has proven two years in a row that he can't get it done. I think it's really similar to the Raptors, like firing, uh, what's his name, Dwayne Casey and bringing in Nick Nurse. Similar to the Warriors firing Mark Jackson and bringing in Steve Kerr. I mean, the Sixers let Brett Brown stay there two years too long. I think you need to make the coaching change now. I mean, you don't know how long you're going to have Giannis. I think that's what I would try next. Well, they're not going to have Giannis beyond this year if they don't if they don't do anything this year. So it's like it's it's already too. Yeah. It's already too. he's not going to. This is his last year. Let's move on to NFL, Cody. I want to, you know, this is, I think this is your time to gloat here. It's got to be a good time to be an Ohio football fan. Uh, Ohio State looking, sitting pretty, playing Indiana this week. The Browns are 6-3. and three. Uh, <laughs> Tell us, well, what's what's the ceiling of the Browns this year? And what do you think of uh, your boy Kevin Stefanski? Uh, so I'm loving what I see from Kevin Stefanski. I mean, it's, it's rare that, like, we see a coach that's competent. You know, we went from Hugh Jackson Freddie Kitchens, don't know how he got that job. Uh, so I, I like everything I see from Stefanski. He makes adjustments at halftime. He plays to the strengths. But uh, I think the ceiling, I can see them getting at uh, – I can see them getting 10 wins. Like, they still they still have a pretty easy schedule coming up. Uh, you know, they got the Eagles. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a gimme. <laughs> no, I can see them getting a 10. I can see them getting a 10, but it's going to be tough to get in the playoffs still because – you know, the AFC is oh, so they're getting stacked. In. I would, right? You think so? I think they're getting – seven teams make it now. I would think they're getting one of those spots. Well, as of right now, they're sitting right on the edge because, uh, you know, Tennessee's 6-3, and three, Colts – well, we beat the Colts, but Colts, Raiders are 6-3. and three. It's pretty – and then Baltimore too. So, if, if we finish 10-6 and six and don't make the playoffs, holy shit. Like, <laughs> that's that's just sucks for us. <laughs> I think Baker Mayfield like, on the field, he's, he's like pretty much like the same thing as Kirk Cousins, like like what Stefanski had last year. And I think yeah. the key is just to like make him throw as little as possible, you know, so he can focus on those commercial lines, which he's great at, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, just it, hand off the ball to those great running backs. You know, they've, they've got the better, system. Yeah. Is he a better actor than a quarterback? You know, yes. it's, it's debatable. <laughs> yes. No, it's not debatable. He's a great actor. Yeah. He, he, no, he is a good yeah, actor. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. Okay. Rank. <laughs> Rank the best NFL commercial actors. Now, Baker's number one, right? Wait, current active um, or all time? All time, let's say. All time. We'll pay yeah, in. Right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Rogers isn't bad either. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, but he's not in the same class as Peyton Baker, in my opinion. Not in the same class. I agree. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I think we had this conversation a while ago. Where if Baker were actually good at football, he'd be on SNL, like... He'd already have done it. He's, yeah, he's the, he's probably that. He just sucks, so nobody wants to see him on this. Can, can you imagine if the Browns win a Super Bowl? Like the number of commercials he's going to be on? Wow, <laughs> he'll never. Yeah, he'll be on your TV. He's already got more commercials seven. than like half the Super Bowl winners in the league. Yeah, he must have. He must have like. There, he must have put a clause in or something. Because like last year, it was it was painful. You know, we'd we'd get our ass kicked, and then uh, right after the game's over, there's one of his commercials. And he's like, ouch. Yeah, but, progressive it, commercial would come on. Yeah, he must have put a clause in so it's like only air the commercials after a win or something. Like, what's your uh, prediction on uh, on this Browns Eagles game this week, Sam? You as an Eagles fan? I, look, I think the Brown. It's in Cleveland, right? 
Uh, yeah, yeah. And they've had pretty terrible weather the last, like, two weeks, but I, I don't know how it's going to be. I just don't have any faith in the Eagles right now. You know, it should be a game, like, with the players they have on the roster, if they play at their full potential, it should be a game that the Eagles should win. But they're not doing that at all. Like, they're playing down to their competition or just worse than their competition. Wentz can't is doing nothing. The coaching is terrible. The defense is bad. You know, I don't know. It's just uh, – I think the Browns are going to win. Let's put it that way. The Browns should win. If the Browns don't win, <laughs> blow it up. Fire Stefanski. Right? <laughs> it's definitely a game with two quarterbacks who, you know – Bipolar quarterbacks. Uh, Baker had an awesome year, then he was terrible. Wentz, like I, this year, surprised me a lot. I, I was huge on Wentz. I, I didn't see this year coming from him, but uh, falling off a cliff for some reason, I can't figure out why. I think a lot of it's not a lot of it. I think it's a chunk of his bad coaching. But one thing, yeah, the one thing going in your favor is, is our defense is terrible. It's basically just give up a lot of yards and then Miles Garrett will make a strip sack. Or that hasn't stopped play. them. You know, <laughs> the Cowboys defense is historically terrible, and they struggled to put up points against the Cowboys. <laughs> they, had one, they scored 29 in that game, if I remember right, and one of those was like a defensive touchdown. So they, they put up 22 points of offense on the historically bad Cowboys team. They just got beat by the Giants, who aren't a good defensive team. Like, they're – I don't know. I, Browns have really good defensive players. For some reason, they can't put it together on defense. Oh, yeah. They have some really talented players. They could get 10 sacks this week. Miles Garrett could have, like, five sacks alone. Uh, there's, they got a good defensive line. Well, gentlemen, I think I'm going to cut this off here. Cody, thank you for coming on to the show. Uh, congratulations on the wedding. Uh, and I'm sure we'll have you thank back you. on before the end of the season. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show, the uh, Fastest Rising podcast sponsored by Out of Regs. Oh, do, oh, thank you for the plug. We got I forgot to do the ad read this week. I'll have to throw it in there. Cody, what is your, let's hear your review of Out of Regs. I loved it. I loved it. I thought, uh, I mean, I... Like I loved how he started it. Uh, a lot of good, a lot of good uh, analogies in there. I, I loved, I loved uh, how you described battleships uh, or battle stations, battleships. Well, I mean that was a good movie too. <laughs> but no, uh, I, I loved your comparison of like battle stations. Uh, just an awesome book uh, from start to finish. Well, appreciate it, Cody. Everybody, go out and buy Out of Regs. Available on Amazon and Audible. Uh, the audiobook is fantastic. All five star reviews. Uh, go if out. you ser- if you served, it's 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 icing on the top. If you haven't, you'll still you'll still relate and you'll get a lot of good laughs out of you it. Might wanna, you might want to join. You might want to join. Yeah. <laughs> the holiday season is coming up. It's it's literally the best Christmas gift you could give anyone in your life. Uh, everybody, thank you for listening. I'm Pat. I'm Holly. And I'm Cody. Thank you for having me.